of bringing attention, awakening the way it is. The body's like this, the breath, sound of silence. So this is like observing, witnessing, not defining or fixing on anything, but using the that which is present. <clears throat> So wherever you are, from your body is, it's the way it is. This is like a truism. But uh, we can live in our bodies and we can, you know, be with them, but live in other places in our heads. So the sense of just centering, being present, observing, And uh, they, when I went to stay with Lung Po Cha, they emphasized this. They use this uh, mantra, Bhutto, with the Anapanasati. So they start with, you know, put, inhaling, toe exhaling. But then they define it as the, the knowing, the one who knows. And so it's not just a, a kind of a hypnotic mantra that that uh, you know has some esoteric meaning that eventually will reveal itself, but it is actually kind of practical. The one who knows it's like a what, who is it? What is it that knows? What is knowing? And these are so kind of obvious that we never contemplate or reflect on the ability to know. So we may study in universities and know a lot, be well educated, but the very act of knowing may never be witnessed or observed or really understood. You can know a lot about Buddhism by studying books. And, and it a, it's an ancient religion, has a long history. Spend your whole life acquiring knowledge about about it, the history and philosophy of Buddhism. But somehow miss the whole point, not knowing the Dhamma. You might know everything about Buddhism, but not know Dhamma. There's a pavana, or meditation, is knowing Dhamma, or the way it is. So this word Dhamma is useful term because it uh, English is a language that can accommodate other languages very easily. So we can just take it right into the English context, like we did with dukkha. Aging is dukkha. <laughs> Death is dukkha. And somebody didn't, you know, for it came the first time, they what's this dukkha stuff? 
But in Pali, the the prefix to tukta do is like a negative neg- negative terminology. So sukha is happiness. Tukha is its opposite. So knowing is, uh, this is uh, existential reality that we're experiencing right now. This this, uh, subject-object experience, uh, you know, on a conventional level, I'm speaking in a conventional way right now, I'm sitting here at this seat. So this, for me, is the subjective position, and you're the object's. I look at you and your your objects in my consciousness. Now just knowing this is uh, is is reflecting on the way it is. On a conventional level, we're all sitting here in this Dharma hall, and uh, we just assume we you know we don't go beyond just the general conventional uh, reality of of the way that we perceive this moment. Uh, in, the, in this in this conventional way, I'm sitting here. You're sitting over there. We're all meditating together. <clears throat> but when you're reflecting on the way it is, you know you're you're knowing, observing, witnessing the consciousness itself. Uh, that word implies this uh, this uh, ability to know. We, we have eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, mind. So the eyes, uh, you know, see objects. If we open them, we see what is in the field of vision. That's conscious, uh, eye consciousness. So exploring just this, uh, this, the way the senses work, the, the six ayatanas. Exploring that just to see how, how uh, you know, when the conditions arise. If I close my eyes, shut my eyes, then I don't see anything because the conditions for seeing are not operative at that at this moment with my eyes shut. But when I open them, then the conditions arise for seeing, and seeing arises in consciousness. So the eyes, are they conscious or are they just in consciousness? You call it eye consciousness, but it, it's using the eyes to see, to notice the objects in the field of vision. So this is knowing, it's like this. Then I can know about, I know that's Arjun Kariko, that's Venerable uh, Sawako, Sudano, and there's the nuns, there's Ajantania, Tanasanti. I have names for each one of you. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then there's all those lay people back there. <laughs> and without my wearing my spectacles, my vision slightly blurred. So in that in the reality of knowing, you know, then the the, the conventional conventional knowledge is I'm Ajahn Sumato, I know your names and I know the Dhamma, I'm teaching Dhamma. But getting beyond just this conventional knowing about things, the direct knowing, that's what I'm pointing to. It's this way, the puto, the the ability, the the one who knows, or the pure knowing that is not aligned with any convention. It's it exists in itself. It's the way it is. It's not it's not knowing about consciousness or knowing about dhamma. It's knowing dhamma the way it is. Uh, that's why this, uh, these are conventions in themselves. Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, these are words. <clears throat> but they're expedient means that we can use, if you use skillfully, they have great effect. So when we take refuge in Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, you know, it's just, this isn't a just a ceremonial custom of Theravada Buddhism, but it actually is uh, an expedient means to really take refuge in knowing, in this direct knowing. So that's taking refuge in Buddha. So knowing at, at this point, you know, if I start thinking, then I get confused because thoughts are, you know, whether I, you know, want to define this moment, describe it, uh, whether I feel happy or sad or or dull or awake or whatever, then I get into a thinking process of the way I feel personally. But if I'm trusting in knowing Dhamma, Buddha knowing Dhamma, this is my refuge, then I'm knowing from this center point the way it is. It's like this, the body's like this. The breath, inhalation's like this, exhalation's like this. Feeling, the mood, the the mood I might have, you know, the kind of emotional state that my that is present is like this, and so just this is a way of pointing, saying it's like this is is noticing, knowing the way it is. It's like this rather than I feel bright or dull or inspired or depressed or whatever. Then it gets into the personal scenarios of of uh, the dualism of thought, the positive negatives, positives and negatives. 
So this is very important <coughs> to, <coughs> to, this is awakening then. You're awake. You can be caught in your personal scenarios and you're not really awake. You're in a dream. A world that you create, my personal feelings and my loves and hates and my life, my history, what I think, and the world around me that I assume is the same world, that we all live in the same world. <clears throat> but taking refuge in Buddha, in Puto and Dhammo, and seeing that in terms of Dhamma, though Dhamma, the truth of the way it is, the way it is, is isn't defining, judging anything. It's not critical faculty, but it's discerning. It's like this. So this is what we mean by pavana. When we, when we, uh, pavana is a good word to also bring into the English context. Meditation is just a kind of generic term or any kind of mental training as it's generally used in English. So it can cover anything, any kind of mental kind of exercising your mind. But bhavana has a, has a particular, you know, it means, it means this awareness developing the path or the way. So in, in the Thai, Thai language they use it, you know, in, in Thai context, Bhavana means is generally, you know, translated as meditation. <clears throat> And then bhavana can mean, you know, generally used can mean any pretty much a generic term for any kind of mental training. But in terms of the Four Noble Truths, if we're using that teaching, then the insight into the Fourth Noble Truth, the path, and even the word path is a bit misleading because it's, you know, one one that tends to give it a sense of, of uh, isn't quite accurate. It's not really a path in the way that we usually define that word. But it is a development. As you trust in this awareness, this direct knowing, attentiveness in the present, Then that's uh, samaditi, uh, and, and, you know, and you have these eight, eightfold path. So samaditi is right understanding. It's uh, seeing things as they are, knowing the truth of the way it is. So it's not a, a kind of a intellectual thing at all. 
when you try to say, what is right understanding, and then think of a nice way of defining it. But in the context of the Four Noble Truths, it means that having the insights, you know, seeing, the, you know, getting beyond doubts. And doubt itself is a result of thinking. Just notice if you stop thinking, you stop doubting. Can you stop thinking? <laughs> So recognizing, realize, knowing uh, thinking is thinking. That's not trying to suppress thought or, or, or kind of destroy our thinking ability as if it was some menace, something we shouldn't be doing. But knowing thinking, not thinking about knowing thinking, but knowing, so how do you, how can you know thinking? And then this is like intuitive awareness, mindfulness of thinking. I am Ajahn Sumato, I am a Buddhist monk, <laughs> like that. So this is thought. I am this person me and mine, all the sense of a self arises with thinking, the separative sense, isn't it? I define myself as a, I'm Ajahn Sumato, you're not Ajahn Sumato, there's a division there, isn't it? <coughs> you can't be Ajahn Sumato, but I am, so there, I've set up a, a division, that's the way thought works, isn't it? Separate. This is my seat here, you can't sit here. And these are my robes. And I hope the monks don't get them mixed up with theirs because I don't want their robes, I want my robes. And my kuti. And my teaching. I love your teaching, Ajahn Sumato. It's my teaching. <laughs> So the whole uh, personality arises, the Sakyaditi. I say, what? Uh, you're, you're American, aren't you? Yes. Yes. So then I'm defined myself according to, because it's like Ajahn Kruniko is not American. So we're two different nationalities. Ajahn Tanya, she's New Zealand. So. We're different nationalities. And she's a nun, a female. I'm a man, male. So this is, the division goes on like this. And this is a conventional reality that we live in. It's not saying it's wrong or, but it's deluding if we don't understand it. If we just, if that's all we, we operate from, then we're caught in, in this realm of suffering. Because these are all limited, unsatisfactory identities. Any way you want to define yourself, it creates a separation. 
And that separation, if you don't understand it, then you suffer from that separation. You're limited, bound, and and uh, blinded by what you attach to, by your identities, your attachment. So when the Buddha, you know, taught the Four Noble Truths, pointing to dukkha, suffering is the first noble truth, it's not a kind of uh, negative approach to life. It's not, a, you know, like, like a, it's not a metaphysical statement like everything is suffering. It's a kind of just a put down of the whole universe. It's all suffering. Might as well cut your throat. It's all misery. And that's a, that is depressing. But that's not the way it is. That's not Dhamma. That might, that, that might be how you might feel at certain moments of your life. <laughs> I certainly have. I might as well kill myself. It's all suffering. There's no point in this. But that's coming from, from the sense of me. You know, I'm suffering. I can't stand it. I can't bear it anymore. So the whole sense of of me and mine and my dis-ease and unhappiness and depression I'm identified with. I'm this is me, the world when you're depressed, isn't it? When you're really down, it seems like you're down forever. You know, like hell seems permanent. When you're in hell it seems like you know the there's, it seems like you're, it's going to never end. It's forever. And that's because you don't, you want it to end. You know, you, you, you think you, you keep hoping it will end, but it, but the more you want it to end, the more it seems to determine to stay. You know? <laughs> So it's like pushing away suffering binds you to it. It keeps trying to resist and deny and, and and suppress, create a bond with the misery that you're trying to get rid of. You become defined by it. You become that misery. Your perspective is lost. You just you're so obsessed, so down, so caught, so stuck that, that you, you can't see in any, in any other way. So then awakenness, waking up and observing suffering rather than just kind of resigning your life is miserable and what can you do about it and just get depressed, sunk into and, uh, you know, wanting to just uh, die, annihilate the world, or just keep resisting it, fighting against it, or looking at it, suffering is like this. So this is a understanding the first noble truth, like awakening to suffering. <clears throat> So that Buddha pointed to dukkha, as, uh, you know, because it is 
such an ordinary kind of banal experience that we all have. You know, there's nothing esoteric or or subtle about it. It's not like refined in any way. Just uh, old age, birth is dukkha, aging is dukkha, death is dukkha, grief, sorrow, lamentation, and despair is dukkha. Having to be with what you don't like is dukkha. Separation from the likes is dukkha. Not getting what you want is dukkha. And this all comes from identity, isn't it? From the self-identity. From I'm old, I will die, uh, I can't get what I want, I have to be with things I don't like, I want things that I don't have, and the world has disappointed me, and, and on and on like this. this is all thinking. And this uh, un, unawakened habitual attachment to the conditioning, to the thought process, to memory, to, to the assumption of a permanent personality. So then the awakened state is Waking up, puto, awakened, knowing that if if I am uh, suffering some kind of depression or despair, when well, it's like this, rather than then how can I get rid of it? What's wrong with me? Do you have any uh, pills I can take? Injections I can have. Put me on drugs to get me out of this misery or awaken to it. So that, what does that mean in a, you know, awaken to it is to receive it. It's like this. To, to know something, you have to accept, you know, just to be caught in reacting to it. I don't like it, I don't want it. Then you're, you're not receiving it. You, you're just resisting, fighting, reacting to it. But if you awaken to it, to pain or despair or loss or not getting what you want or having, wanting something you don't have, it's like this. So in uh, my own training in Thailand, Ajahn Shah, you know, this is awakening to dukkha. In the, you know, training in the, the Thai forest tradition, you know, the suffering that I created there was, uh, you know, the sense of awakening to it. What is this dukkha? And being able to to observe, I'm creating, like, I don't want it to be like this, or I, I don't want mosquitoes. You know, I think, this mosquitoes, in Thailand there's a lot of mosquitoes. And in Wat Bapung there were more mosquitoes than there were monks. And they like 
white skin very much. A very soft skin, probably it, for a mosquito it's probably quite delicious, I imagine. <laughs> At least that's how it seems sometimes. <laughs> I'm just taking something as ordinary and, and seemingly kind of banal as mosquito bites. Because they're unpleasant, you know, they itch and it's annoying, then you've got this this perception of you could, I could get malaria. You know, you hear all about you know, malaria and this can go to your brain and you can go crazy. I've heard, you know, we've heard all these stories, how it ruins your life. You hear stories of soldiers coming back from tropical areas with malarial fevers that they, they have their whole lives. And so you think, you know, that if you get this disease, your kind of life has been ruined. So you, you, and then you're taking a rule not to kill anything. So you're sitting there, and in uh, in those days, uh, it was rougher. So they didn't have mosquito screening on the windows or anything. So you more or less had to endure. But then learning from this, uh, the anxiety, the aversion, what I created around this. And this was, uh, this is, you know, turning to the dukkha. This is dukkha. It's not the mosquitoes. They're, they're, that's the way it is here, in the, say, when you're in tropical country. <clears throat> they, they live here. So that they're, you know, they belong here. And then I'm here, and I don't want them here. That's suffering, isn't it? I don't want, I hate mosquitoes. And I, and I wish they weren't here. And I get caught in my aversion and, and uh, hatred of them. That's the suffering, having to be with what I don't like. So this way, you know, this way of investigating experience it helps a lot to to have to get a different perspective on something that that you might never look at, other than the way you know reacting with aversion. How can we get rid of them? How can I get rid of what I what's present that I don't like? You know, so. That, you spend your time figuring a way to, to annihilate them or get away from them. But also there's this other option, awakening to the suffering. And then the, the personality says, it's the mosquitoes' fault. They're making me suffer. That's the, that's the self-view, isn't it? If those mosquitoes weren't here, I wouldn't be suffering like this. So it's their fault. Or changing the view from the personal to the puto knowing the Dhamma, Buddha knowing the Dhamma. That's a shift, isn't it? That's a weakened attention. The conditions are like this, the way it is. 
the body, the breath, the atmosphere, the, the, the weather, the temperature, that which exists, that which is I'm experiencing now through this form. So in, in this way, you're investigating, observing the way it is rather than just caught in reacting and, and, and getting caught in, you know, in resentment, aversion. And that's the dukkha that we can blind ourselves with. So this, this attitude of awakened attention, dukkha, has been understood. This aversion, fear of getting malaria, not wanting something that ex- that's here, that I, not wanting it to be here, not want to have this feeling, this unpleasant sensation of itching. <clears throat> it's like this. So we, when we awaken, this is awakened, awakeness, consciousness with sati sampajanya. So we learn, you know, learn from mosquitoes. They're teaching us. Mm-hmm. Seeing them as teachers rather than as pests. <clears throat> it's a change of attitude, isn't it? Uh, uh, personally, they're pests. You know, personally, I don't like mosquitoes and I don't want them. And anyway, I can keep them out, and I do. <laughs> And personally, I wish there weren't any mosquitoes on this planet. You know, personally, I've got a lot of wishes. <laughs> I've never learned to, to enjoy their company or to find them lovable. That's personal. But on a level of knowing, if I just operate, you know, live my life on a on that level of personality and what I like and don't like, then I I never learn anything. I'm just trying to find, you know, situations, control situations where the things I don't like are far away from me. And I and and then I kind of dread the fact that they might you know, what you know, like in uh, Thailand, you know, you've got mosquito screens now and so when somebody leaves the door open and mosquitoes can get in, you feel really annoyed. You say, Shut the door and mosquitoes will get in. <clears throat> so you get angry with people. <laughs> mindfulness. Close the door. Shut the screen. Keep the mosquitoes out. Wanting something you don't have, like how much of your meditation is trying to get a state you remember having. You know, like you had a good meditation the other day. You really felt this sense of bliss and peace. And now today, this morning, you are, you're hoping to have that again. 
Oh, just I had a wonderful meditation the other day. And uh, I've come here and I want to have another one, just like that. <laughs> and so you're wanting something you don't have, isn't it? Wanting, you know, you remember having such a pleasant feeling, such a good meditation, and now you don't have that same feeling, but you remember it, so you want it. So you're practicing now to get rid of your a kind of restless feeling, wandering mind, so you can have again that experience that you remember. That's wanting something you don't have in the present. So that's dukkha, isn't it? So you, this is like reflecting using the the Four Noble Truths, for observing how you create suffering. By wanting something you don't have, not wanting what you have, not getting your, what you, not getting your own way. So when I hear people say, I had a good meditation, I think, you know, that's, I don't, you know, that's fine, but, but good meditation, bad meditation doesn't matter. You, sometimes you learn more from bad meditation. Where you can't get what you want, you can't make your mind go into a nice concentrated state and feel bliss, that you're sitting here with pain and and anguish and despair, <laughs> which you don't want. I don't want that. I want those blissful moments, those tranquil moments, uh, that wonderful feeling. And then, uh, and then the you can't get it. Then you you don't want what you have, and you want something you don't have. But the knowing of this, isn't it? This puto. Puto, Buddha, knowing the truth of the way it's like this. And then all conditions are impermanent. All conditions are not self. So in uh, Bhavana, this, with this exploration of suffering, investigation of it, you have this right understanding It takes you to this ground zero point of just recognizing pure awareness is like this. Consciousness, pure consciousness, knowing, which isn't absorbed into any refined state. So you're not in a, in, in a kind of refined, uh, concentrated state. It's just ordinary attention. And it's self-sustaining, it's not a created state, so you're not, you're not uh, having to, doesn't depend on ideal conditions to support it. 
So this is where, you know, we, we the pavana really uh, is, you know, the fourth noble truth can, uh, is developed because it, it's about life itself, about sitting, standing, walking, lying down, breathing, feeling happy, sad, success, failure, praise, blame, good health, bad health, aging, all the, the worldly dhammas arise and cease, but the knowing, but the knowing then is, is in the, this puta dhamma rather than me uh, liking and disliking and endlessly reacting to the things that happen to me. So this is, you know, going to encourage this, how to use this, this tradition, this Pali tradition, in terms of its, its, you know, its form of Buddha Dhamma Sangha. And Sangha, the, uh, yesterday talking about the four pairs, the eight kinds of noble being. So if you try to project this out onto you know, who's a Sotapanna, who's an Arahant kind of thing. You've, you've, you've missed the whole, you kind of don't understand it all. Proves you don't know anything. Proves you're a Bhutuchana, an unawakened being. <laughs> because that's just personal speculating, who I think. Well, I, you know, I think so and so is an arahant, and I think, you know, so my personality, uh, my personality is capable of knowing who's who's an arahant and who isn't. <laughs> my personality can have opinions. That's about all it can do. You know, project these these concepts and think, well, I think, because I like Ajahn Chah the best. He's an arahant. And I want my teacher to be the arahant. But what is that, you know, in terms of the reality? Is that a, a personal? Is that a person? Is an arahant a person? A personality? And when you, you know, when you're Developing with the right understanding, samaditi, then these terms like sotapanna, sakada, kamiana, kami arahan are not taken as personal uh, attainments because you're still caught in sakaditi. Then you still haven't, you know, am I a sotapanna, maga, sotapanna pala, or I could get caught in doubt. But the knowing then of like the, you know, the stream entry then is, is recognized through letting go of the first three fetters, which is all about your cultural conditioning, yourself, the sense of yourself as a person, cultural conditioning and your thinking process. So that's why I encourage you to 
not to find out whether you're a sotapanna or not, but to use that particular um, convention for exploring experience. You know, it's very, it's, if you use it properly, it's very helpful because it is, you know, it's, it's a very useful tool to be able to observe where where you you know where what where you attach what what sakyaditi really is what personality view is and for me you know it's it's uh, such a skillful tool and it it helped me to really uh, you know explore that whole thing of self not just trying to transcend it. Uh, and, and and reject self, but to really know what I mean by sakyaditi or self view. And then uh, then I noticed in the Sila Patabaramasa there's a cultural conditioning. I put that term as just the conditioning, social conditioning, cultural conditioning. It's the whole the package you get from your from your mommy and daddy from your ethnic identities. From your social or class identity, your gender identities, isn't it? These are, this is all Sakya, this is Sila Paramasa and Sakya Ditti, they, they kind of interplay, you know, they really amount to the same thing, but, but it's just a different emphasis. Because we are conditioned, you know, to be Americans, English, New Zealand, and that we have those identities and those attitudes and assumptions from those cultural attitudes. And as long as we're bound into that, a lot of them are subtle, you know, assumptions that that may be not all that conscious. We just make assumptions about life and reality and ourselves that are, you know, part of a cultural attitude that is not, you know, that personal, that separative, but very cultural or social, socially conditioned. And then Michikecha is the um, doubt, which is uh, being attached to your thoughts, views, opinions, ideas, prejudices, memories. So these are, these, notice that these first three fetters, the ten fetters, the first three, are the things that prevent you from seeing the path. They, they're the obstructions. Because, you know, if you're, like in your meditation here, if you, you know, the idea, I've got to meditate in order to get rid of my defilements, that's Sakya Ditti, isn't it? That's a sense of I'm somebody, I'm this person with these, with these problems, and I've got to get rid of these problems in order to become an Arahant. Now that's Sakya Ditti.
Now, I'm not saying Sakyaditi anything bad about it, but to know it, you know, this knowing of Sakyaditi is like this. It's not a matter of not having any Sakyaditi anymore, but it's recognizing it so that you're, you're not, it isn't what obstructs and deludes you endlessly. And if you don't see through it, you know, if you just, no matter how good your intentions are, if they're all built on Sakyaditi, you, you know, you can only, you can probably get tranquil through controlling the conditions. That's about the best you can expect from your meditation. You become a tranquility freak. You know, you have to, you, you shut the world out so nothing irritating or unpleasant uh, kind of distresses you at all. So you, you kind of turn away from everything in order to rarefy your environment, refine it. And that's about the best you can do on that level. But if you get to the, the, the you know, the source, that Sakyaditi, even meditating with Sakyaditi, you begin to see through even your assumptions that I am a person with all these defilements that I need to practice in order to get rid of them. So when I, even things like, I am an American, you know, that's a convention, fair enough. But I'm American-British now. (laughs) So it gets a little more complicated. But this is conventional reality, so it's like, you, you know, you're aware of that. What knowing that is merely convention, as not as something to attach to and define myself by, but it's merely a convention that's useful in moments, you know, on a conventional level. But it's nothing; it's not an obstruction. Or you know, the thinking oh, I get, you know, I I really get upset when things when people say these things, and and one can still think in a in a Sakyaditi style, but there's an awakeness to it. It's not, it's not, uh, you know, it's no longer deluding you. It's not, there's, there's, you can still use the conventional realities without binding yourself to them, not believing in them in the way that you do if you don't break through that illusion. You don't see through it. So apply that to everything, every identity you have, like I'm Theravadan Buddhist, or I'm a Vipassana practitioner, or I'm a, you know, all the, uh, I'm a junior nun, I'm a senior monk, I'm (laughs) whatever, you know, all the whole conventions that we, we, you know, that we take on, seeing them in that role of of conventional reality, samuti satya, or conventional reality. 
And paramatta sacha is awakenness, seeing that uh, this is merely convention, appropriate to certain instances in a, on a conventional situation. But here and now, this sakititi silabata paramasa vichikicha is seen for what it is. It rises, ceases. You're seeing it in terms of dhamma rather than than the illusion and assumption of it being a permanent self. So that means when when you break through, when you see through the illusion of sakyatiti silabhatabharamasa, then the you in a, in the conventional way of speaking is the path, stream entry. You you know the the path or the way of practice. So that's right understanding. Samaditi arises. Or Samaditi's presence. It's like this. Now when when Tilda when Sakiditi Silabhatabhamasa, they're no longer what I'm operating from or caught into or believing is the reality of emptiness. It's ground zero. Anatta, no self. But it's not not like I'm using these words as uh, projecting them into some kind of delusory mental state. It's like this. When if you really let go and and release yourself through uh, seeing the suffering of grasping, then you then you have this 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 discerning. That's intuitive awareness is operating, which is knowing puto, knowing dhammo, knowing the Buddha, knowing the Dhamma, the way it is. So it's not that I've become Buddha, because that's Sakyatitika. I can't claim that I'm a Buddha. But in the, in the way that we use the term refuge in Buddha, Bhutang Saranangachami really means this. And then all sape sankarani cha sape dhamanata, all conditions are impermanent. It's knowing. It's not believing in impermanence anymore or or just thinking about impermanence. It's recognizing that which changes, like in consciousness, pure awareness, consciousness, is you know, it seems to it has no boundary, it has no limit. But limited things arise, you know, so thoughts come and memories arise and cease. Feelings, pleasurable, painful, neutral feelings, uh, memories, emotions, um, you know, the senses operate. But 
your refuge is in knowing, in puto, knowing dhammo, rather than than in the uh, the habit, re- the reactive uh, habits you have to to the arising ceasing of condition. So notice that this realm of sense realm that we're experiencing now is like this. You know, it is is it, it just it, it it's not a judgment, but it, it's good or bad, but it is like this. You know, it's it's a powerful experience to have a human body, to have this kind of a body that is so sensitive. <clears throat> to have sense organs, as eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, have a brain, and all this, it's, it's the nervous system, and internal organs, heart, and and stomach and liver and all these things they're you know they're this is this is this is uh, you know the way it is in the terms of the reality of this moment and so it's it's not a judgment or criticism but just a receiving the bodies like this The body is a sensitive form, so it's not going to, you can't sustain a permanently pleasant feeling in the body because conditions change. You know, so the nature of the body is to, is receiving, you know, it's picking up things, it's sensitive, so it, whether it's too hot or too cold or mosquitoes or you're, you're feeling uh, healthy and, and you're feeling sickly. Feeling pleasure, pain, or neutral sensation. There's a knowing of this, the awakened discernment of it is, you know, this is the way it is. It's, it's a recognition, not a, a kind of resignation, but a awakened recept, receiving, allowing things to be what they are. So then in, in uh, like in this uh, refuge containing the, that which is unbounded, you know, like space, consciousness, nothingness, neither perception nor non-perception, the four immeasurables, these are, you know, these are called jhanas, Sometimes, but they're quite natural states. You know, like space is now. I mean, when we, you know, visually we can observe space. It's nothing subtle about it. It's just recognizing it. It's all around. So observing, you know, opening my eyes and looking at space. All you can say about space is that it is spacious. And then we can you know, put forms into space, so we, we limit space by building this building here. You know, so it's got walls in, in a roof and a floor. And we think space is in the Dhamma hall. But then we, you know, as we that's the assumption, that's the conventional, you say this is a spacious 
Dharma hall. Sometimes it's not spacious enough, isn't it? On a Katina day, we think we know we need a bigger Dharma hall. It's not spacious enough. But ordinarily, it's spacious enough. So it's very relative, you know, about this Dharma hall being space, you know, being spacious. That's a relative thing. But space itself has no, is not, you know, it, it has no boundary. In terms of of the reality of this moment, that seems to, in my visual sense of space is is bound by the, the walls, the ceiling and the floor. But there's also the kind of recognition of, that this that this Dharma hall is in space because there's plenty of space outside it. So this might seem, you know, obvious, but this is a reflecting on space. Uh, we're not just operating in space out of habit and assumption, but noticing, opening, recognizing. It's like this. Not trying to define it, but receive it. Spaciousness is is something you have to open to. When you define it, you 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 know, then you're it's like trying to see there's only space in this Dhamma hall. In Maikuti there isn't any space. Or maybe in your little kuti, some of the those little kutis in the woods, there's not enough space in them, is there? <laughs> That's the conventional way of, of thinking. The old shrine room in the house wasn't spacious enough, not enough space there. <clears throat> So then consciousness, you know, unlimited consciousness. You, you know, we tend to use consciousness as kind of like, it's always aligned with conditions. So, it, you know, we, we experience consciousness through the forms, conscious of what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch and think. But with awareness, we're actually realizing consciousness that isn't bound or attached. That has no no limit. Now this is an intuition, this isn't a definition. <clears throat> and these are just words, but it's it's a way of reflecting on experience here and now. So in consciousness, emptiness, the knowing is, you know, consciousness is knowing. So it's not a knowing from a personal perspective, but from transcending the personal it's like this, it's discerning. And so the, the panya or wisdom, this is what we mean by panya or wisdom, discerning the way it is. So this relationship of the unconditioned and the conditioned can be reflected upon. So when I use these 
two words, unconditioned and conditioned. What I mean by unconditioned is, is, is this, this awareness isn't a condition. You can't create it. You, that's why it's a recognition or realization. It's like this. Then, then the conditions arise and cease. So the thoughts arise and cease. Memories, feelings, pleasure, pain, emo, you know, emotional feelings, happiness, suffering. But there's a knowing in 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 this this spaciousness. Then there's room for everything. It's not a it's not a you know, when when we get into personal preferences, there's not room for everything. I don't want mosquitoes. I don't want pain in my body. I don't, you know, I've, I've got all kinds of views of what I like and what should be and what shouldn't be. But if I let go of that personality habit, then there's, you know, there's space. There's, it's unlimited Everything belongs. Mosquitoes, the birds, everything. What's lovable, what's horrible. Greed, hatred and delusion. All three kinds of desires, all forms of suffering. Sensory experience. It discerns, isn't it? The discerning. This discerning, it's, it, all conditions are impermanent rather than good, bad, right, wrong, what should or shouldn't be. But it's not a, you know, this is a, a knowing, a wisdom knowing rather than a condition knowing about. So that's where if you use the Buddhist uh, conventions properly, they're very, you know, they're very helpful very, they, they very, they're expedient means, I admit. Because, and eventually, you know, you let go of all that too. You don't, you know, it's like the raft that gets you across the stream. It's not an end in itself. But it is a very skillful way of contemplating experience here and now. So in this retreat, you know, this, this, don't just sit here in a kind of blissed out state all the time, but investigate things. You know, practice, take these noble truths and teachings to investigate the way it is. And using like these three, first three fetters, because they're the, they're the big, you know, that's the, that's the uh, illusions we create. Condition out of ignorance. And they're not, you know, they're culturally conditioned. Language, personality, culture. These are, you know, you don't get them when you're born. You get them after you're born. And then we get what, what our parents give us. You know, so we have different cultural assumptions, different personal attitudes and preferences and tendencies.
then then that is a stream entry, sotapanna. You see the stream, you see the, the path is very clear, it's precise, it's not it's not maybe, could be. Maybe I had a stream entry moment. You know, last year I was on a retreat in the forest and I think I had a stream entry moment. <laughs> I was just, you know, speculating through memory and self again. Last year I had a stream entry moment when I did that retreat in the Hammer Wood and uh, I want another one of those. <laughs> that's, that, that's not it. Or wanting to become a stream enterer. You know, this is not, I'm not encouraging you, you know, to be ambitious to attain stream entry, because that's another, that's sakyaditi. But this is a, this is a practical use of these terms for investigating reality.